One scathing email accused GodSaidManSaid.com of intolerance, an accusation we don't deny. Often confused are the biblical doctrine of forgiveness and the unbiblical and often satanic doctrine of tolerance. God forgives sin when we repent and forsake them, but He does not tolerate them. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are His, and let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. God's Word is not inclusive in regard to its positions, but contrary to the popular mantra, it is exclusionary. John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. The world's religious sects, cults, and denominations number into the thousands, yet God only recognizes one, and that is the truth found in his majority text word. Truth knows no opinion. Seek the truth, and it will set you free. Now for today's subjects. The following message came from Bob. I have often wondered about the nations of people before Christ that were not able to receive the biblical message as the Jews, such as Native Americans. Being that they were on a different continent and obviously having a different religious system, gods of nature and the like, are we to assume that although created by God, these people are condemned? Why would he not give them the same message as he did Moses? How are we to assume the Native Americans got here if not by creation, and if by creation, which I do believe, then why not the same message? Although we are able to bring the message of Christ to them now, what of them before the settlement of this country? I have given much thought in reading to this subject, and it is rather perplexing to me. God said, man said, response. Dear Brother Bob, the Word of God has the answer to your question. Understanding why God chose the Hebrews to be the bearers of his oracles is important to a sound understanding in this matter. Abraham, who preceded Moses by well over 500 years, is the father of Israel. He was not chosen by God because he was a Hebrew. He and both of his parents were Gentiles. Abraham was chosen because he believed God. Galatians chapter 3, verses excuse me, 4 through 9. Have ye suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? He therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit, and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith? Even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. Abraham believed God. That seed of faith that dwelt in Abraham, the Bible declares, was Christ, and all of us who believe God in his testimony of Jesus Christ are also of that same seed. Galatians 3.16. Romans chapter 4, verses 12 through 14 and the father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham, which he had being yet uncircumcised. For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of none effect. Abraham and the faithful of Israel were chosen to carry the Christ seed of redemption to this lost world. 
Today's seed of Abraham is focused on lifting up the Christ of Calvary. Click on to the following subject on this website. There were many among the Gentiles who converted to the God of Israel. Two Gentile women of note were converted and found in the direct genealogy of the Christ child. They were Rahab and Ruth. Rahab, who was a Moabite, was the grandmother of King David. The nations of the Bible knew of the God of Israel. Concerning peoples of the earth who have no knowledge of Christ Jesus, the Word of God lays out a very clear standard, and that standard is knowledge. James chapter 4, verse 17, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Those who have no knowledge of Christ are not responsible for that lack. But God does hold them to a righteous standard. Concerning Old Testament law, Romans 2, verses 25 through 29 reads, For circumcision verily profiteth if thou keep the law. But if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. Therefore, if the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? And shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge thee, who by the letter and circumcision thus transgress the law? For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. The Spirit of God in His convicting power encompasses the earth. His testimony is imprinted universally. Psalms chapter 19, verses 1 through 6. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of the heaven, and his circuit unto the ends of it, and there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. Man is responsible for the knowledge he has been exposed to, and as with Abraham, faith in God is still a required foundation. In regard to remote areas of the world, I can recall the report of a rather famous missionary, his name escapes me, that traveled into the world's deepest jungles to minister the Word of God. He came upon a tribe of Christians who had never seen a white man or a missionary of any ethnicity, yet they were Christians. The following email came from Alex. I was asked how God was able to gather all the insects alive at that time. This would have been thousands of species. The question was asked to me sarcastically. I did not know how to answer it. God said, man said, response. Dear Brother Alex, I am certain it is not news to you that the flood in the days of Noah required the miraculous hand of God, beginning with his foreknowledge of the coming global deluge that would destroy the earth as Noah and mankind knew it, Genesis chapter seven, uh, chapters excuse me, 6, 7, 8, and 9. It was God's perfect blueprint that Noah used to build the engineering marvel called the Ark. According to D.H. Collins in a 1977 article in Creation Research Society Quarterly titled Was Noah's Ark Stable? It could sustain winds three times the force of a hurricane without capsizing. The Ark had no steering mechanism, therefore it was the miraculous hand of God that directed its course. 
It was the magnificent wisdom of God that instructed Noah in the gathering of adequate water and foodstuffs for the journey. It was the miracle hand of God that sent the animals unto Noah, which Noah gathered unto the ark as instructed. It was the miracle hand of God that opened the windows of heaven and poured the water down, and the same hand that opened the fountains of the deep, etc., etc. The entire episode was a miracle, and it was stated as so. Concerning the preservation of insects, there is a myriad of ways that this could have been done. Some insects could have dwelt in the wood and various building materials of the ark. Nests would have been built by insects in the ark as they were a building. Insects, alive and in egg form, would have come aboard the ark in their food supply. They would have come aboard in the coats of the animals. They would have congregated on the floating dead and debris. John Woodmarapi, biologist, geologist, and author of Noah's Ark of Feasibility Study, weighs in on the subject of insects with the following. Insects. Many individual small anthropods must have survived the flood. For instance, ants can survive flooding by entering hibernation if the temperature is usually below 8 degrees centigrade. Even the debris left after the flood must have served as a huge spawning ground for many types of insects. For instance, the filth flies will flourish not only in carrion, but also in decomposing vegetation and seaweed. In fact, phytohagous insects are the first to become established on a devastated area, feeding as they do on plant debris. Insects are legendary for the rate of their population increase. At a very favorable intrinsic rate of natural increase, a population of one milligram of insects could enjoy a 120 billion-fold population increase in just six months. 300 ants could multiply into several billion within a year. This all means that, allowing only a fraction of this rate of increase in order to be realistic, insect populations must have been already fairly plentiful towards the latter stages of the flood, months before the grounding of the ark. The ark-released animals must have found many insects to eat, at least in many locations. Concerning insectivorous creatures, those whose diets are dominated with insects, Mr. Woodmarapi continues, Yet even when insects are essential in an animal's diet, only small quantities are sufficient to supplement the bulk of the diet, which is common inert foods. For instance, the flycatchers eat almost nothing but insects in nature, yet in captivity have been fed mainly common inert foods with only a few added live insects. Many keepers of the soft-billed birds have maintained insectivorous birds on dried insects and dried ant eggs. Indians of the American West used to sun-dry vast quantities of grasshoppers, mix them with berries, seeds, nuts, etc., and then press them into cakes, thus facilitating their long-term storage. Noah could have done the same and stocked the ark with tons of dry insects. Many live insect eaters have been switched entirely to common foods. Thus, in spite of claims that small birds, such as hummingbirds, must have live, tiny insects as fruit flies in their diets, the contrary has been demonstrated. Riggs reports successfully maintaining a variety of hummingbirds on an inert diet without any live insects for as much as 22 months. More recently, Bryson Growl, 1989, report a similar experience with captive hummingbirds. This is also true of other birds. For instance, waxbills have been successfully maintained on a bread-based millsop without insectile food. Some insectivore soft-billed birds have been maintained on nothing but moistened wheat bran, while others have thrived on moistened dog food. Lest we hear any more like claim that Noah could not possibly have known this, let it be known 
that the ancients did maintain their soft-billed birds on various common foods. Let us now generalize the methods of feeding captive insectivorous birds. Many soft-bills are now fed common inert foods without any live insects. As a whole class, most birds can be fed formulated mixed feeds. In conclusion, most insectivorous soft-bills do not require any form of insects, live or dried, in their diet of captivity. Brother Alex, insects are not a problem for Noah. For more information on Brother Noah, click on to Noah's Ark Factor Fiction, Noah 2, Keep Seed Alive, Q&A, Colas and Lineage, Jonah, Everyone Says Yes.